You are listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. We're just excited to be here with you guys this morning and just to continue processing through the book of Luke. Are you guys enjoying this book so far, the series so far? It's fun to dive in and to walk this journey with a guy like Luke who gives such specific detail to the account and bring out so many really cool truths and and nooks and crannies of the the ministry of Jesus along the way. And I'm hoping that you're you're not only just coming and listening to these sermons, but you're pre-reading and you're coming prepared for the passages that we're going to be preaching on from week to week. At the bottom of your Connect card, on the notes side, uh, which should be blank this week because I'm preaching. And so uh, at the very bottom of that, you should see kind of the passages that are coming up for next week. We just want to encourage that. Come prepared for worship each week. Come prepared with the word of God already in your hearts, having a better understanding of like, this is the story, this is the narrative that the word's going to be brought before us as a church together. And as we do that, it's going to transform and change the way that we receive God's word each week. I really believe that. I had a, um, a friend ask me, like, how do, you, how do you get through even some of the hard times of life, hard times of ministry? And I was like, you know what? You got to be grounded in the word, first and foremost. If you let that part just kind of go off the rails for your life, when you get to the hard stuff, you just get to a day where it's just like, nah, it's just another day. It's going to feel even more weighty um, without the word. And so as you prepare yourself to hear the words, you prepare yourself to come into God's presence, it changes if you know the words that you're going to speak. And so we want to create that as an advantage for you, knowing where we're going from week to week to week, and encourage you to get into that word as we prepare. So today, uh, we're in a chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at a, a, a short little section from verses 27 through 32. And this is on the calling of Levi, when Jesus comes and, and prepares a, a new disciple to follow after him. And, and dives into his story and who he is. And it's, it's a short little uh, few verses that are here. But man, there's a lot in it. And so I, I want to walk through today and kind of technically break it down verse by verse a little bit. And then uh, share with you a little bit of what God's been doing in my heart through it as well. Does that sound good? Yeah. So much enthusiasm. Um, But Jesus has been unfolding his mission and his purpose over these last couple of chapters. You go back to chapter four, he set that up uh, in in reciting and and quoting back from Isaiah. And here we begin to see him unfolding and focusing on who his mission is is all about. Uh, Pastor Keith preached a little bit of that as he began his ministry of healing last week and who his attention is being focused on. And and it dives again into, into this little section of scripture today. And so let's read this together. So Luke chapter five, and I'm gonna read verses 27 through 32. And it says, starts with this. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Notice it wasn't a question. It was just a statement. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. 
And so Jesus approaches, and he, last week he was uh, working through, and he's talking with the leper. He's looking at the paralytic man. One of the coolest stories I love in Scripture is when these guys get up, and they drop his, their buddy through this, this roof of this house. And he's doing these things that seem countercultural to the Pharisees and to Jews. And they don't get it. And so he leaves that house and he starts moving back down to what I would say is most likely to the coast, somewhere right around Capernaum. And he finds Levi at his tax booth. And we capture that right in verse 32 where it says, after this he went out and he saw, he went out of that house where he was at the end of last week and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Now, there's a few interesting things about this. A tax collector, let's look at this tax collector piece. He was a tax collector. Tax collectors in the day, how many of you guys love the IRS? It's about that time of year. Anyone? No? Does anyone work for the IRS? Great. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, now that's out of the way. But this idea of tax collectors, we look at it these days and it's like, it's not really that bad. We kind of make jokes about them. It's much like we might make jokes about lawyers. But back in the day, they weren't seen as people that, that you want to spend time with. They were understood to be crooks and thieves because they oftentimes took what Rome is saying, hey, these are the taxes you need to collect, and they would upcharge that tax to pad their own pockets. And so they were seen as liars and thieves, crooked men who would who'd take advantage of the situation. And it wasn't like everyone just loved to see a tax collector waiting to take their money. And for the Jews, not only was it this oppression that they kept feeling from Rome, but now this oppression comes in and now you're taking more money than you were even required to, to give. I mean, even Jesus said, hey, give to Caesars what is Caesars. But he didn't say, yeah, and then give them a little extra because that's okay too. There's a part that we have to give, but he always, these taxes wanted more. And there was really nothing you could do about it. But for even for the Romans, they, they looked at it and said, hey, we know what we're supposed to give back to Caesar. We know the tax, but then you're excising this, this bigger tax from us. These guys weren't the you know, friends of the neighborhood. They were seen as kind of lower class people, even though they made a lot of money. In, in Roman social hierarchy, even though they may have had the money, they may have thrown the parties that they were still seen kind of on the very low end of the social hierarchy in Rome. They're saying a big thing for Romans. And the Jews, they, the Pharisees, they looked at them as sinners. Like, you're clearly not living out covenant law, and so therefore, you're just a sinner, separated from God. There's nothing you can do, and so we're not even gonna come close to you because they see him as unclean because of, of, of what and how they do their jobs and how they live their lives, which is a big deal. And so Levi, who also his name would, would be Matthew, and if you flip back a few books in the Old Test, New Testament, you see that, hey, this guy wrote a gospel. <laughs> and so here's this tax collector that comes along in, in the story of Jesus, and Jesus calls him to follow him, and he goes through this journey, this experience with Jesus, and then later on tells the story of the ministry of Jesus that we continue to read thousands of years later. Five verses and something incredibly powerful happens in them to this guy, Levi. And so keep in mind that this guy, Levi, is Matthew. And, and, and he's standing on the seashore taking taxes. He wasn't the chief tax collector 
He is one of the, uh, the minions that was out there sitting in his booth or in his little room. And so as they came, they came in from um, doing business or they were traveling along the seashore to get from one city to the next, he would collect taxes from people. Now, there's a few people that I want to point out that he has probably uh, met before and interacted before based on his job. Peter, James, and John. Now, if you remember, Jesus has already called Peter, James, and John and said, come out from fishing. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Remember the story? And so in the same area, there's a very good chance that Levi and these other disciples that Jesus is currently walking with have interacted. Meaning that there's probably not the best possible relationship that they have with this guy, Levi. Because they've taken, he's taken more of their money than he needed to, very likely. They just didn't love to have to pay taxes or more than was needed on their catch of fish. Now you go back even, even farther that when Jesus got into the picture, what happened? Anyone? They caught more fish. Now imagine this. You catch more fish, you pay more taxes, right? And here comes Jesus walking down the shoreline. Comes up to this guy, Levi, and says, hey, come follow me. Guess who's right on the heels and the dust of his feet? His disciples. These guys that look at Levi and go, I mean, Jesus. Now, I'm speculating. This is not in scripture. I'm just creating some fun thought around this. But I imagine, especially a guy like Peter, a little audacious in his personality, what are you doing, Jesus? He's a tax collector. He owes me money. He took it. But yet Jesus is not even concerned about that in this moment because he sees something in Levi that is gonna be great for the kingdom. And so we go on and through this, and, and what Jesus understands about this call is, is something specific, that Levi knows that there's something greater and bigger than he is. This call to follow Jesus is, is to, to a, a person who's grasping this idea that like, I need more than what I have, not monetarily, not, not this bigger asset gain or anything like that, but I'm just missing something. There's a hole inside of me that's not full. And I don't know how to explain it. I can't, I can't figure out how to fill it. I've tried. I've done all these things. But I recognize that there's something huge missing in my life. And we run to him because we understand that. And Jesus said this incredibly powerful, unique way that when he spoke the words, follow me, that the people that heard those words began to feel that, feel that gap fill again. They go, this is right. I need to step into this. And this is exactly where Levi was. Even as a tax collector, even believing and knowing that he was the least of these, that he was not loved, that even these guys that were walking with Jesus, imagine Levi's perspective going, these guys are not gonna like me, God, Jesus. Like, this is not gonna happen. I'm not gonna be welcomed into your, your, your band of men here because of who I am and what I've done. Jesus didn't concern himself with those things. He just said, follow me. It was a statement, a call to Levi. And Levi's response in verse 28 was this, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. He left everything. Now, Luke adds something unique into this passage that none of the other gospel writers don't. 
This idea of, of leaving everything behind, and we see this throughout Jesus' ministry. We're going to be catching that uh, a few times in, in the next coming chapters. But there's a unique thing in verse 32 that Luke connects to, and that's a call of repentance. So when you think of Levi leaving everything, he had a, lot, a good amount of money. We're going to see that in a moment and what that looks like. He had a good life. It was secure. He may not have been the most liked person in the community, but he was doing pretty well for himself. And he left all of that behind, but it's less about that, and it's more about the sin in his life that he's leaving behind. Because Jesus' call to follow him was one of two things uh, for Levi. It was definitely a call to become a disciple, and we'll see that play out uh, throughout the rest of the book. But in this moment, it was a call to leave your life of sin behind. And Luke makes a specific note of that in verse 30, 32 when he talks about bringing sinners to repentance. That Levi was at a place where he said, I need Jesus to a place to forgive me of my sins. And as a result of the forgiveness of sins, I'm gonna choose to follow you. I'm gonna live my life all for you. And what that means, I was reading... Um, some studying for this week, and the idea of leaving everything was defined by this one uh, scholar as this, defines more of reorganizing your whole life completely around the purposes of God, manifest in and through the purpose and mission of Jesus. So leaving everything behind doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to give up all my money and all my houses and all my stuff, but I'm going to reorganize my whole purpose and my life around the mission and purpose of Jesus. And that's what Levi's doing. He's saying, I'm going to give everything I can. I'm going to reorganize everything about who I am, about my life, around the mission and purpose of this man who's calling me forward. And he did that. And his life began to change, and people's life around him began to change. The, the Greek behind this idea and followed him when it says, and he rose and he followed him, is, is not just that it just, it just changed his direction and he's walking after him, but that he began, there was a process that begins to unfold in Levi's life. It wasn't, just, I'm a Jesus guy, I'm gonna put on my Jesus button, but I'm gonna hang out here in Capernaum and just, I'll just promote Jesus all day long. I'll put his little sign in my front yard and say, I, I'm a Jesus follower Levi actually did something productive behind his cho choice to, to receive the forgiveness of Jesus in his life and to follow him. He began to move from where he was. It wasn't simply an intellectual decision for him. It was a life-changing, life-altering decision for Levi to say, Jesus, I hear you call my name. I'm gonna get up from where I am. I'm gonna step forward. I'm actually gonna get into motion in following after you. I'm gonna make it more than just this head knowledge of who you are or more than just this alignment to say, I'm gonna put a badge on my, on my, my collar here that says, I'm following Jesus no, I'm actually gonna do something with that commitment to follow Jesus. I'm gonna do something with the forgiveness of my sins. And he steps forward in that. And too often times I feel like we miss that point, especially in America. We can just like, man, I love this church. I love what it's about. I love how they sing. I love the preacher. I love everything. Like, this is so great. And we kind of hang our badge on the church and we say, this is where I go every Sunday. 
And we'll, we'll put a little t-shirt on or a bumper sticker on our car. And we'll say, yeah, this is what I'm all about. But when it really comes down to being a follower of Jesus, we don't do a whole lot. We come to church every week. Oh, well, we go to a, a small group, a life group every week. That's pretty good. And from time to time, we'll get out there and serve. And, but that's, and that's good, too. But it always takes the church something to do to get us to do something. And Levi said, you know what? I, I want to make movement of my commitment to follow Jesus, of the work he just did in my life. And so what does he do? He throws a great feast. He invites people into his home to meet and to commune with and to hear from Jesus. He invites people into this place. Part of following Jesus for Levi was to say, I'm going to do something with this new found faith of mine. With this guy that I'm following, I'm going to jump all in. And I'm going to invite others to come do this with me. I want people to know this Jesus that has called me. I want them to fellowship with him. I want them to be healed by him. I want them to understand who he is and what he is all about. I want people to see his mission and what I'm aligning myself with and what I'm going to do with my life from here on forward. And so in verse 29, it says, And Levi made him a great feast in his house to celebrate, to make much of the name and the person of Jesus. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So here's a little note on the side that we can see that Levi didn't let go of all of his means and assets. He was still able to throw a pretty big party, pretty big feast. He had a decent-sized home to have a large community of, of tax collectors and others join him. But what he did with what God gave him was to make the most of it so that others could come to see and meet Jesus. His whole life realigned around the purpose and mission of Jesus. Lord, if you've given me this, I'm going to make, make it useful for the glory of your kingdom. If you've given me this, I'm going to invite everybody in to experience it and to know you through it. Lord, every resource that you've blessed me with, I'm going to use so that others will be blessed by you, that others will experience and know you. Levi did something incredibly unique and powerful in this moment in his first steps of following after Jesus. Now, uh, in the first century, a, a feast had a couple of cool things about it. One, it was table fellowship. Everyone loves to come to a, a table full of food, right? Anyone not love that? No, didn't think so. And so we get into this place and, and this table fellowship really symbolizes this sharing life together, an intimacy, a kinship, a brotherhood, a sisterhood together. So in the first century, when you gather people around your table, it's saying, I align with these people, that this is my tribe, this is my people, and they're welcome in my home. Like my home is their home. There's not much that separates us and them. I may be the host, but they are my guests. And there's a fellowship, an intimate fellowship that's happening because of that. It was seen much more deeply than I think we often do in modern America. Football game on, some dip over here, some kind of pork product over here, and we're just kind of hanging out in the kitchen, and just, it's fun and it's stuff, but do we really bring in the intimacy of what it means to share and fellowship with one another in our homes? 
Orders do it so often, we forget, forget that. In the first century, it was a big deal to invite these people into their home and throw this, to have this intimate level of fellowship. We actually see this throughout the church. It transforms as the church launches in the book of Acts. Acts 2, 42-47 talks about this fellowship and what it looks like, the innocence, the kinship, the, the shared purposes of the church together. It's awesome. But there's this other thing that goes on in the first century when it, when it comes to these feasts and these gatherings. It's a, a more of a symposium, kind of a nod to this Greco-Roman perspective where people gather around the table, the host calls it in, and they focus on something. They either focus on some kind of discourse around this very specific topic, or they focus on a philosophical idea that they're going to have a good time debating around the table. Or they, they want to honor this guest and they want to hear from this guest and who this person is and, and what they know and what they, they want to learn from them. And so in this, this symposium um, uh, perspective of the feast, there's this idea that, hey, we're going to gather around this table and we're going to hear a good word and we're going to be able to have a healthy debate around these topics and this, this, this statement that may be thrown out there. And it all lines up with exactly what Levi is doing. He's aligning himself with his tribe, other tax collectors. He's aligning himself with the mission and purpose of Jesus. He's invited him to, as the guest of honor to this table, the center of attention. And he's saying, hey, this guy has something really important to say. What he is teaching us is something that we need to consider deeply in our intellect, but also in our souls. This guy right here, you need to listen to him. You need to hear what he has to say. You need to be in his presence because there's something powerful. There's something authoritative about what he brings to the table. There's fellowship an intimacy that Jesus brings to the table. A kinship that he says, you are my tribe. But he also has powerful words of truth that he wants to speak of his purpose and of his mission to those people that gather with him. Too often times, I think, we get to this place, as a side note, in, in America where we come to know Jesus and we kind of live this life with Jesus and we get super excited at the front end of it. And man, I, I became a Christian when I was young, five years old, and God kind of reoriented some of my thinking about that when I was a teenager and, and then called me to ministry later in my high school years. And, but I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, one of my biggest struggles, and you've heard Pastor Keith say this too, is that we get wrapped up in our world as pastors in the church and we we get blinded to the fact that I have zero non-Christian friends. All the people I interact with are you, which I, I love you. You're wonderful people. But for the most of us in this room, you probably have a relationship with Jesus. And it's so easy for us as believers in our day and age to kind of get excited on the front end. Because man, God is making this change in me. He's doing something. And of course, when we get excited about something, we're going to tell someone about it. You gotta see this new product I just bought or this new car I just got or this new TV I just got. It's super cool. And when we do that, when we first have that initial reaction to Jesus, like Levi did, hey, you gotta come see this, hear about this, come to my church, it's awesome. And then slowly, over time, we get super comfortable in it. And then church just become church. 
and life group just becomes life group. And a service project just becomes a service project. And we stop inviting, and then all of a sudden, our lives just become comfortable, and we begin to realize, and we really lifted our heads up and looked out, we realized, I don't have any non-believing friends around me. I'm in no relationship with my barista or my neighbor or my cubicle worker who's like right there next to me. I've never actually told them about Jesus. I've never let them into my life and my spiritual journey. I've never said, let me tell you about what Jesus has done for me. We kind of get into this motion. And the farther we get in our faith journey, the deeper we understand the, 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 the truths of God and the work of Jesus in our life, too oftentimes is the farther we get away from those who need Jesus the most. Powerful, interesting note that I needed to bring up because church, the purpose and mission of Jesus that he is unfolding in these passages speaks directly against that. Bring out a feast. Invite people into your world. See who your tribe is and say, come and meet this man, Jesus. He's gonna change your life. And so Levi jumps right in and he starts right off the bat and does that. And he says, I don't, I don't care about tax collectors and sinners and all this stuff. I care about people, my tribe, knowing and experiencing and hearing from Jesus. But the Pharisees, in Luke 5.30 says this, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Isn't it interesting that when we see the Pharisees grumble, it happens in one of two ways. One, they say it inside their heads. They don't actually say it out loud. Or they say it to someone besides Jesus. They never actually very, are very uh, less likely, do they ever approach Jesus and say, hey, why are you doing this? They always seem to go to somebody else, like they've got something to be afraid of, or they might not have the right words to respond. You think they, they might know something here that Jesus has got something that they don't? I wondered. But they, he, they go to the disciples and they say, why? And in the previous verses, they have this thought in their head. It's like, how does this man forgive sins? Who is this guy that he can do this? Only God can do that. They think that, and then there's a response from Jesus. And here, this idea of grumbling, the, the word here behind this is it's an outward discussion that they've said something loudly, outwardly, when they grumble here. Now, I'm trying to imagine the scene. So the Pharisees would see two things going on. One, that um, tax collectors, and they actually changed the word to sinners. They recognize everybody in this household is, are sinners, connecting that to tax collectors. But yet, they're still in the space. Being with these kind of people or being in proximity for them would be living and becoming unclean themselves, ceremonial, morally, ethically unclean as Pharisees. But yet there they are in the space of Levi's home. Interesting. Interacting and bringing up this grumbling thought. Why do you eat and drink with these tax collectors? Because they're looking at the disciples who are Jews and they're looking at Jesus saying, hey, you guys are Jews. You shouldn't be doing this. This is making you morally and ethically and ritually unclean. This isn't how the covenant law works. You're missing the point. You're doing something wrong. You're not living out what we're telling you you need to live out as your Pharisees, as your spiritual leaders. This isn't right and they're separating themselves 
from these sinners and outcasts. And they're, they're saying that you guys are unworthy of the work of God in your life, essentially. But yet, there they are, struggling with the myths that they're also in the middle of it. They're somewhere in the space, and here's how we know that, because as soon as they say something out loud, who hears them? Jesus does, and he responds, because that's what Jesus does. And he answered them, saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus creates this medical metaphor of healing those who are unwell. That he's come for those who are sick. Because there's no need for a doctor if you're well. I don't know how many of you make a doctor's appointment to pay the copay when you're feeling good. Like you don't call your doctor and say, hey, uh, I just want to make sure I'm good or I just want you to tell me how great I am. So I'm just going to come in and if you can just get that really cold stethoscope thing on me and then do that thing around my arm and you know, stick that thing in my ear to tell me how my temperature is. I just want to know that I am like good stuff. None of us do that. Well, should I say, does any of us do that? Nobody? But as soon as you start to feel sick, that's when you go to the doctor. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Now, keep in mind of the storyline. He just came from healing a paralytic and a leper. The idea of healing the sick is something that is very close to him, literally in the moments and the days of his ministry at this time. So when he's speaking this truth, he's bringing absolute examples in front of all the people because they all know what's been going on. They've been hearing about him. It's like, I didn't come for the righteous, for those that are healthy. I've come for those that are sick. But there's this really cool connection that also happens to the need for spiritual healing. Because in the bottom of verse 32, he says, but to call sinners to repentance. You may not have a physical ailment, but you've got a spiritual one. You may not have a cold but you've got something else going on in your life that's starting to eat you up. That put you off just enough that you can't experience the life that you're living in the way that it's supposed to be experienced and lived. And Jesus pulls in this point. Now he throws out this idea that I have not come to call the righteous. And this is a little bit of a, a, an underhanded, creative little thing right at the Pharisees. Because he's saying, you know what? I'm not about your perfect life. I'm not about everything and all the things that you say is the way to live your life. Because you guys have got some things wrong. In Matthew's account, in Levi's account of this, when he writes this story, he shows that Jesus says to, to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means when he gives them the, the metaphor of the doctor. Go and learn what this means because he's challenging them to say, your understanding of righteousness is not right. There's something off with what you understand and what you're teaching and telling people. So go and learn what this means when I say, I haven't come for those that are sick I've, or healthy. I've come for those that are sick. I haven't come for the righteous. I've come for those sinners to call them to repentance. This is my purpose and this is my mission. Go and learn what this means. 
dig in a little bit more because you guys are missing it. Go back to Psalms 51 where it says, I don't delight in all your sacrifices, in all of your outward shows. I delight in a broken heart, a contrite spirit. That's what I want before my throne. That's who I am about. The covenant law that you speak of, I'm the fulfillment of that law. He went back to speak that in chapter four when he unfolded Isaiah and said, this is what I've come to do, to fulfill the law. I am the new covenant. And we're gonna see that truth unfold throughout Jesus' ministries as we move through, continue through the book of Luke. And he's calling out the Pharisees, those who think they've got it all together and saying, you know what? I haven't come for you. I've come for my tribe, for this people, for this table. I've come for this fellowship. Because in this fellowship, my power is gonna do great things. So all the folks that you think I shouldn't touch, the leper, the paralytic, the tax collector, the sinner, I'm gonna, I'm gonna embrace them. I'm gonna run to them. I'm gonna sit at the table with them. I'm gonna have fellowship with them. I'm gonna teach them. I'm gonna speak truth to them. I'm gonna speak love to them in that way. And he sets that up. This is my mission. How many of you guys work for some kind of a company or organization? <laughs> That's good. Um, so grateful you all have jobs. Um, most likely, I'm gonna bet that your company, your organization has a mission statement. Any of you know what your mission statement for your company or organization is? Nathan and Caleb? You're, you're walking on you know, thin ice here because if you get it wrong, right? How many can actually tell me the mission statement of your organization? Mark. Wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> that's impressive. I'm gonna I'm gonna write your company a letter and say you you should get a raise. Um, okay, Caleb. What's our mission statement as a church? I want yeah uh huh. Uh, yeah, the journey. Oh yeah. <laughs> No, you can't. So as a church, and this is why I want to use this as a shameless plug for the journey, is that we are moving through a season that we're, we're changing our mission statement as a church because we want it to be aligned with where God is leading us as a church. You want to know what that mission statement is? Take the journey. Um, yeah, I don't really want to tell you because I want to lead you to that, but actually it's glorifying God by engaging people everywhere in the journey towards Christ-likeness. We want to lead people down this journey to understand and live a life of Christ-likeness exactly aligned with even what Jesus is calling Levi to do. Mission statements are powerful. Some of us might even have our own personal mission statement because they define our purpose, they define our direction, and they define our behavior. It all starts at that foundation. If we have an understanding of our mission, it changes everything in our life. And if it doesn't, we don't have an understanding of the mission. And how you engage with that mission unfolds your understanding of the mission. Does that make sense? And so as I was reading through this and you know, breaking down some of the fun technical side of what Jesus is doing in this moment of, of calling Levi, 
the least of these, to sitting at a table with the least of these, to saying that my life and my purpose is about the least of these. It's a truth that's happening in his, his ministry. When you go back to Luke 4, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says that even in a shorter, more specific sense, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not call, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is beginning to unfold very specifically his mission and purpose in the world. And everybody in this story has a response to it. Levi's, when he looks at himself, he says, all I have is not enough. There's something in me that's missing. And then when Jesus calls him to that mission and purpose, his response is yes. It's not a, hey, Jesus, I got, I got six questions. Can we take a moment and just, can I, do you have an FAQ sheet on this whole thing? Like, I see the mission statement on this page, but can I get to the FAQ sheet on, like, what, what's it going to take and, and what's it look like and are, am I going to get fed well? Is there, is there a Roth involved? Like, what's the health plan? He got up and followed Jesus. He said yes. And when he looked at his community, his tribe, he said, come and see this man named Jesus. Listen to what he has said. Levi's response to the mission and purpose was immediate and purposeful. He dove in and he said, come with me to experience this person of Jesus. Now, Jesus' response to his mission was simple. He's fulfilling. He did to leave. I said, hey, come follow me. Come do this with me. Come watch what I'm about to do over the next three years and let it unfold around you. And when he looks at the sinners that he's sitting at the table, he hey, I've come for you. I haven't come for those people. I've come for you. I want to have kinship and fellowship with you. I want to teach you this truth about who I am and what I've come to do for you. When he looks at the Pharisees, he says, you guys have a lot to learn. You have more to learn than what you already know. There's more unfolding here than you've given your mind's capacity to see. And then there's the Pharisees. They look at Levi and they say, you're not even worthy. You're a tax collector. You may be a Jew, but you've chosen a profession that separates you from the covenant law of God. You are unworthy. He looks at the disciples and he says, you guys are doing this wrong. You can't eat with these people. You can't have kinship and fellowship and have discussions with these people. This isn't how it works. And they look at Jesus and they say, you're not qualified to do this. You can't forgive sins. And so as I was breaking it down to these folks, I'm realizing, man, I wonder who I am. Am I in a place in my life that I've taken on like Levi? And when I hear the words of Jesus, my response is yes, absolutely. And I get up and go. And when I see others, I'm like, come and see, come and experience this Jesus that is changing my life. Am I living out and following in the, in the footsteps of Jesus to go to people and say, I'm not worried about who you are or what you've come from or about what's going on in your life. I wanna sit and have fellowship with you. I don't care what the world says about you. I'm gonna invite you into my home and I'm gonna share a meal with you. I don't care what your background is or your history is. I don't care what your list of sins are. I'm not concerned if you go to this church, that church, or the other. I just want to have fellowship with you. And I want to teach you the more of who I am in your life. 
I want to take the truths of Scripture and unfold them for you in powerful ways. Or maybe I'm a Pharisee. And I look around me and say, well, you're unworthy. You don't do it right. And you, 